0: TheTruth.com
1: with your host dj rome hey welcome to the program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul, my name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bomb School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have an amazingly full show. We got so much happening in our nation, ladies and gentlemen. Voting has started. Uh, we already talked about the president and his coronavirus uh, diagnosis, but it's time to vote, y'all. Feats and souls to the polls are jumping off. Uh, Both Biden and Trump campaigns are campaigning all across the country in swing states and competitive districts trying to make their last plea, ladies and gentlemen, and California is voting too. So to help us understand the ballot, uh, we're going to have a very special visit from uh, political hyphenate uh, Aaron Wiley Sands. She's been here multiple times before, but she has broken down the California ballot, ladies and gentlemen. So Aaron's going to help us better understand the propositions and the initiatives to help us cast our ballots and get them submitted early for uh, early voting. You know what I'm saying? So that's Aaron Wiley Sands. We also are going to be paying tribute to the late and great Eddie Van Halen. Oh, my God. The legendary guitarist from the group named after his uh, very name himself. Uh, Eddie Van Halen made his transition, ladies and gentlemen. So to help us. Pay tribute to this legendary guitarist. We're going to have our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. And for the very first time, guitarist for, uh, oh, so many people and a music producer, uh, he goes by the name of Joe Solo. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Solo is going to be breaking down uh, his appreciation for the life and musical contribution of the late and great eddie van halen we're also going to have scott and juliana back uh juliana bolden is going to be joining scott and i we're going to be breaking down the prince sign of the times <laughs> uh that's doing really well on the charts in its uh, reissue status so uh that's going to be our show so you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off so this is kcwg the truth.com my name is dj rome welcome to psychotic bump school stay tuned for more we're going to kick it off with aaron wiley sands and the california ballot okay we are back kcwg the truth.com's program is called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome and ladies and gentlemen in case you hadn't heard we are in the midst of a rather robust election season and people all across the nation are voting in record level turnouts early voting is dominating the election airwaves let me tell you people have bought into the idea despite what uh, the occupant of the White House has tried to do to discourage people from trusting mail in voting. Uh, people are taking advantage of it and they're voting in record numbers. And we are looking at something that's going to soon amount to an absolute uh, landslide of ballots coming through through the process of early voting. But people are also going to be voting in places, but the operative word, ladies and gentlemen, people are voting. So in order to help us better understand what issues we are gonna be voting for, at least in California anyway, I am very proud to welcome back a guest who's been here multiple times. She's one of my favorite guests. She's so sharp, she's so witty, and she knows her stuff. Uh, she refers to herself as a multi-hyphenate, but she's just a very cool human being. So ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Erin Wiley Sands. Miss Sands, are you there?
2: Yes, I am, and I'm so excited to be here and discuss this voting. Like you said, I already voted so hey
1: hey hey that's what's I up
2: am one right. of the early voters
1: absolutely so did you can you help us because you you ladies and gentlemen aaron wiley sands broke down the california ballot okay so what you're about to listen to is a breakdown her take on some of the more pressing issues we're not going to go through each and every one but some of the highlighted ones that we feel are of particular importance but i want to know um aaron all right dog Dog wants to be a part of the interview. That's okay. I love that dog. But how did you decide? How did you have a game plan for voting because of all the controversy surrounding voter suppression and whether or not it's safe to trust uh, mailing in your ballot? Uh, what was your plan for voting? Did you mail yours in? Did you go and vote in person? How did you do it?
2: Um, well, the state of California that's where I live, offers uh, mail-in voting for everyone. And so I've been a mail-in voter for years. I, of course, started voting when I was 18. So I've been voting, you know, all of my adult life. And um, I'm blessed enough, or we're blessed enough to live in a state where it's very easy to vote. I have uh, cousins and family members in Georgia who are waiting in line for five to 10 hours. I had no such... And it breaks my heart to hear it, but I'm standing with them in solidarity, go, you know, go out there. I would do it too. I, I would be mad, but I would be standing in that line for as long as it took. But it was very easy for me. I voted, took it to a ballot box. And it's really important, I want to say this to your listeners, Yes. make sure if you are getting, if you're voting by mail, the ballot box, is the official let's say that word, official ballot boxes, are located on your uh, your ballot. So don't look at the ones you just see or you might drive by. Make sure it's an official ballot box because there's been some shenanigans afoot. Absolutely. Where um, certain uh, parties, I won't say any name, Republicans, are putting up right. <laughs> ballot on. boxes that are not official. Um, you know what I mean? To thwart mm-hmm. our voice and to thwart our vote. and that you know we come from i'm african-american come from people who died and and marched and protested for me to have the right and as an african-american and again as a woman you know what i mean to vote so i take voting very seriously i have a right to say what happens to me personally to my community to my state and to this nation that i pay taxes into so yes we should all vote and um i encourage everyone to vote but do it smart um, there is a website it's called la.plan.net.vote, I think mm-hmm. I can, um, double check for sure. Okay. But that lets voters know if you don't have a plan to vote that you can go to that website and they give you and they help you out with a plan to vote.
1: Oh, and we all need it. So tell us once again, um, the ballot box because of the shenanigans, uh, Aaron Wiley Sands is talking about the GOP, the grand old, uh, party, you know them republicans uh (laughs) they have been putting up some fake uh drop boxes and they've been ordered to take them down and they have refused and so they're trying to confiscate votes and make sure that they're not counted um and you just said i just want to be clear for our listeners did you say there's a way to determine the right drop box the official one according to the ballot that we were sent is is that
2: absolutely Okay. If it's on your ballot. When you register ballot. to vote and you get your ballot in the mail, it tells you, like, I live in the city of Burbank. It had four official places where I could drop off my ballot. Okay, there you go. Official ballot boxes.
1: There you go. Well, let's jump right in. Uh, looks like it's about 12 propositions here. Like I said, we won't go through them all. Let's start with Proposition 14 that's on the ballot that authorizes bond okay. continuing stem cell research. It's an initiative statute. Uh, What can you tell us about Prop 14 and what a yes or no vote means?
2: Okay, so Prop 14 was put on the ballot by signatures be an effort um, mostly funded by Robert Klein and the International Open Philanthropy. So he put this on the ballot. And what it does is it dedicates $1.5 billion in stem cell research for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stroke, epilepsy, and other brain and nervous system diseases and conditions. It's funded by bonds, which means um, that the state will buy these bonds and we, the taxpayers will have to pay it back. And what it comes to uh, annually will be $5 per person annually. So I recommended that we vote yes on this because it's important to find uh, solutions to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, strokes, epilepsy, and it's not gonna cost the taxpayers that much. It's gonna be $5 per person annually, and we don't have to begin paying this bond back into 2026. So mm-hmm. I voted yes and I urge voters to vote yes, but now you know the truth. You know how much it will cost you, beginning in 2026 as a taxpayer it will cost you five dollars annually and you know what it'll be used for so you oh. can make your own decision
1: absolutely proposition 15 increases funding social services for public schools excuse me funding sources for public schools community colleges and local government services by changing tax assessment of commercial and industrial property it is an initiative constitutional amendment what would a yes or no vote mean for this one prop 15.
2: Okay, so Prop 15, this was uh, put on the ballot and largely funded by California Teachers Association. So as you said, it increases funding for K through 12 public schools. Um, But what it does not tell you, because we all have a heart, of course we want funding for our kids, but what it does is it takes, um, it uses, okay, so California is one of the most expensive states um, in the union to purchase property. We both know that because we live in California and it's very expensive. Our only caveat being in California is when we buy our property, our property taxes are based on the purchase price. So if you bought your home in 1990, you're still paying those same 1990 property taxes instead of an increased 2020 rate. So Mm. what it would do is for businesses and corporations, instead of them paying that, that tax that, that they paid when they first bought it, it would increase it to whatever year we're in. So this would hurt small businesses. And so I, um, I'm not for that because the same, the same people who tried to put this on about this year, two years ago in 2018, tried to put it where they were taxing us, residential homeowners. So mm. as much as I want to fund public schools, I believe that there's another way to do it. You don't have to put small the burden on small businesses, especially while we're having COVID and they're all struggling to stay, you know, afoot anyway, to, you know, keep their heads above water. We cannot then now increase their taxes. Some of these people maybe bought their business in who knows what year, 2012, and now we're gonna, now you gotta pay the 2021 taxes on top of not getting the revenue you used to because of COVID. So, um, my, I voted no on this and I recommend a no vote.
1: Okay. That's from Aaron Wiley Sands. How about Proposition 16, Aaron? Uh, allow- Proposition
2: 16. I love this. Let Go ahead.
1: Me just- I, I, I'm gonna Amen. let you believe on that one. Go ahead. Break. What is Prop 16 about?
2: Okay. So, who put this on the ballot? San Diego Democrat Assemblymember Shirley Weber. God bless her. OK, so in 1996, voters passed Proposition 29 to I'm sorry, Proposition 209, ending affirmative action at state institutions. Do you remember that? I do. Voted against it back then in 1996, we passed um, 209 to end affirmative action. Okay, so the repercussions were an immediate drop in black and Latino enrollment in state's elite public universities. So this proposition would allow state institutions to target disenfranchised groups like um, young girls who wanna have a career in coding or engineering. It would allow them to target teachers and faculty in schools with a major minority population. So the kids can then see themselves represented in positions of leadership. And we all know how important that is, and it would also give colleges that have increasingly dropped in Black and Latino enrollment after two hundred nine, they would increase in enrollment. So we would get more Black and Latino kids being able to have the opportunity of equal footing. So to me, the people against Prop sixteen um, want to hoard opportunities for themselves and deny, you know, an equitable platform for marginalized groups that have been historically disenfranchised. So mm. I um, enthusiastically voted yes for. Uh, Prop, uh, I'm sorry, Um, Prop 16, because it's just right. It's what should happen.
1: This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're joined by the incredibly talented, uh, politically astute, multi (laughs) hyphenate. Aaron Wiley Sands, she's breaking down the California ballot, y'all. We've gone through propositions 14, 15, and 16 so far. And at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you please read your ballot before you cast your vote. Aaron Wiley Sands is leading by example. She's already voted, y'all. So uh, let's continue. This one, I'm really interested in. Proposition 17. Aaron wiley says, "Can you please break down 17? Because I, I I might have okay. a little to say about this one. Yeah, go ahead. Yes,
2: I, I'm very, very, very interested to hear what you have to say. Okay, so right. this proposition 17, like I said, I I care about who put it on the ballot. This was put on the ballot by a uh, Sacramento Democratic Assembly member, Kevin McCarty. Mm-hmm. So in 1974." California voters passed a ballot measure giving people who have committed felonies the right to vote once they complete their sentence and are no longer on parole. And we're one of the few states who do that. A lot of states, um, and I I don't know them all, but a lot of states, if you commit a felony, they take your voting rights away forever, which to me is utterly ridiculous. But California in 1974, we voted and we said, hey, if you commit a felony and you served your time, then you should have all of your voting rights completely restored. So it's right and good that we did that. So after someone has completely paid their debt to society, they get to vote. Prop 17 goes a bit further, it would give those on parole, a right to vote while still on parole. So if you commit a felony. And you are on parole, you, you know, you get out and you're on parole. Now you get to vote if Prop 17 goes forward. Now, we all know that studies illustrate um, what African-Americans have known for a long time, <laughs> that mm-hmm. there's a disparity in our criminal justice system, yep. that African-American and Latino citizens often face harsher citizens uh, sentences than our white counterparts for the same offense. Yep. So um, there's a documented bias. We're not making this up. There's a documented bias against Black and brown communities in terms of policing. Mm -hmm. So um, a yes vote would mean that, hey, we're saying that yes, if you you made a mistake, you paid your time in, in terms of being incarcerated, now you're out, you're on parole, we're gonna say, yes, you can vote. A no vote is saying, hey, I think even though you made a mistake, you need to finish everything and when you finish parole, then you can vote. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think? Where do you stand on that one? Because yeah. I, I didn't um, on my guide, I didn't recommend that. I just let people know what a yes and a no vote meant.
1: Oh, so you don't have a particular recommendation for that one.
2: On my um, <laughs> on my voter recommendation guide, I did not recommend.
1: Interesting. Interesting. I
2: broke it down because I believe that it's great that we live in a state where if you commit a felony and you serve your time, then you get to vote. So I, I'm mm-hmm. already happy with that whether someone thinks it should be at the end of parole or during parole, I think, you know, it, yeah. it definitely could shift the balance of things. But, you know, these, even though we say um, that we are disproportionately affected as people of color, every law, you know, includes everybody. So white yeah. men and women who commit a felony while they're on parole, they would get to vote too. And right. some people feel, and, and I understand that feeling completely that say you murdered or you are a pedophile or whatever, they're saying no finish your parole, let's see that you are completely rehabilitated or reformed. And before you participate in our voting system. And I understand that I I do. So I did not give a recommendation for that because these laws affect everybody.
1: Yeah, I take your point on that. Did it say anywhere that they had to pay their legal fees all up or just parole that that's all that parole? okay because
2: parole does involve like you say fees what you're paying monthly but if, as mm-hmm. long as you're on it and you're on parole because if you violate parole you're back in prison so that's then right. you're not voting that's but right. if you're on parole and keeping up with parole it says this proposition if you vote yes people will get to vote while on parole so what do you think that's, that's well
1: because florida is going through this same exact thing right now amendment four just passed um at the uh midterm election in 2018 when that blue wave came through and put all those democrats in uh, seats and some of them in deep red territories where democrats had previously not even competed the blue wave uh, accomplished quite a bit Uh, it flipped the house uh, they picked up 41 seats and one of the amendments on the ballot for florida was called amendment four and it was the uh, amendment that would restore voting rights to ex-felons and so that passed in a landslide Okay, but they have a Republican governor in Florida. We have a Democratic governor here in California, Gavin Newsom and Kevin McCarty. I keep, keep confusing him with the uh, the minority speaker in the house whose name is very similar and he's a Republican and he gets on my nerves, right. but right. McCarty is a Democrat. <laughs> so there, there, there's a difference there. But uh, amendment four was passed by a landslide, but the Republican governor of Florida uh, and his legislator um, enacted laws to make it a requirement for ex-felons to make sure all their fees are paid before they're allowed to vote. The problem with that was, they didn't tell them what their fees were. They never made it clear how much they owed. And so they were told if you vote and your fees aren't paid, we're not gonna tell you what your fees are, but if you vote and they're not paid up and we find out about it, you're back in jail. And so rather than just sit back and just let that happen, Michael Bloomberg, former Democratic presidential candidate, um he sent 100 million dollars to the state of florida to pay off uh the legal fees and remaining debts whatever were on the books for I 32 yes. 32,000 ex felons so now 32,000 extra felons will be enabled to vote uh, lebron james and his uh, initiative when we all vote that has also uh received co-sponsorship with a lot of wnba players i you got to give props to the WNBA, because sisters, y'all are always right on these issues. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> that's why if you pick a horse, Aaron Wiley Sands, we're probably good to go, because sisters are the moral backbone of this country. Y'all always have been, certainly of the Democratic Party. But his $100 million went to Florida. Tyler Perry just recently donated a huge sum of money just to the state of Florida to help in this cause. So when I think about this cause that's happening in Florida, uh, California, It reminds me of that, and I can understand why someone might be sitting on the fence with this one, because um, it's it's a sensitive thing. If someone violates the rights of other people, um, people may feel a certain kind of way about having them uh, reinstated into society. And so I understand the hesitancy on that, and I would just encourage people to read the ballot for themselves and decide for themselves where they come down on that one. And um, I, I'm, I'm happy that you kind of left it out there because what it does do, it makes people go and read it for them on selves. Okay, you got to yeah. do some research y'all. You got to read for yourself and decide for yourself. We're, this is, we're, Aaron did us a solid, but you still got to do your own work. You still got to walk your own mouth. Uh, we got two more I want to go over with you. How about Proposition okay. 22? What is Prop 22 all about?
2: Okay, uh, Prop Twenty Two. Um, this uh, was put on the and and I'm glad we're going over this one because this one's kind of tricky. The okay. people who put it on the ballot, I feel like they're trying to, you know, is what do we call the old ban- banana in the tailpipe thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yep. this was put on the the ballot by um, Lyft, Uber, and DoorDash. That's oh. who funded this. Okay. okay so the proposition. Um, turns app based workers into independent contractors. So people who work for these companies, um, meaning that they do not have these companies, uh, Lyft, Uber and DoorDash don't have to provide their workers with benefits. And I'm going to say this because I've lived long enough to be in both positions. Um, I'm also an actor. And when I came to LA, I came when I was young. So I did a bunch of jobs where um, I was healthy and I didn't have a need for insurance. And so I was happy to work as an independent contractor. That was fine. But I also know as a grown woman now, I understand the benefit of overtime pay, health care, paid sick leave, unemployment insurance and workers' compensation just in case I might need that. So um, this is what I know to be true. Uber is lying, they can afford this. They can afford it and still pay, um, they can make a sizable profit. They just choose not to cut into their profit margin. They're making a choice. They're choosing to instead spend $110 million on legal fees and marketing against their workers having benefits. Oh. So anytime you can spend $110 million that could have easily paid for workers to have benefits, it's a greedy to me greed, corporate greed, and it's disgusting. Hmm. So, um, a lot of people um, who are employed by these uh, companies, or at least in the commercials that are advertising, and, and I've heard this too, they say, hey, you know, I understand what I got into with this, and I don't care about the benefits. I don't want these companies to leave the state of California and not, you know, and not provide an income. And I understand that too, because, you know, we're in COVID. And even though these companies are greedy, they, they could be, you know, paying the rent for people, providing food on people's tables. So I get that. I just want to let the voters know that mm. they can't afford it. Uber, now you got to know Uber can afford it. Uber can afford it. Lyft can afford it. DoorDash can afford it. They can't afford to give their workers benefits. They don't want to. They want to uh, (laughs) make the profit without having to make sure that if their worker crashes the car, that they're, you know, that they would pay for that or pay for workers compensation if their workers got harmed or hurt in some kind of way. Mm. So, um, but the way they put it on the ballot, they put it on the ballot. So what you would have to do is vote no against it, saying Mm. no no i'm not letting them say that they don't have to provide their workers benefits mm-hmm. if you say yes you're saying if you vote yes on this you're saying yes they can get away without having to provide their workers benefits you see how it's worded it's worded yeah, kind of weird absolutely. And when they do that you know my spidey senses go up and i'm like ah, uh-huh, you're not gonna get me with the old banana and the tailpipe the no vote is saying um no you must provide these workers with benefits a yes vote is saying hey I get it. These workers don't want benefits or they know what they're getting to getting into when they work for these companies. Yes, you can continue not to provide them with benefits.
1: Yes. So you come down on that one as, as a no. You would come down on it as a no. That,
2: well, I vote. I'm telling you personally, I voted no. In my voter recommendation guide, it was this one and the other one we talked about. I did not rec- I did not give a recommendation. I let people know in my voter recommendation guide, I am voting no, but I'm leaving it up to you because I understand we're in COVID. and yes. I know that some of the this is their only income because maybe they were a waitress or, you know, who knows what they were doing and they can't make money anymore. And if these companies left, even though it would be out of greed, maybe they would be put in a certain position, even though I know and I'm telling the voter they can afford it. They just choose not to pay you. They're (sighs) choosing to hurt these workers. But, you know, so I'm making it plain. Make your own decision. Mm -hmm. I voted no, but I don't recommend anything because I understand that people's lives are on the line right now.
1: And people are dependent upon the gig economy yeah. to give yeah. back. This reminds me so of. I, I,
2: yeah, so I understand a yes vote. I understand a yes vote completely. Right. So I don't recommend on either way, but I just want right. to make it plain for the voters. I you know, know what it is,
1: all right. Readers, voters, do your own yeah. research. It kind of reminds me of Prop 8 from 2008 about eliminating the right of same sex couples. It was like, if you vote yes for it, you're really saying no against this, right? It was kind yeah. confusing. It, it reminds me of yeah. Prop 8 from years ago. Uh, we got a couple right. minutes left. Uh, Proposition 25, Aaron Wiley Sands, what are your thoughts on this one called a referendum, referendum on law that replaced money bail? What's that one all about?
2: Okay, so this proposition. This one's a a bit tricky, too. Um, This proposition replaces the money bail system with a system based on a judge's determination of public safety and flight risk. So the goal of it was to help or is to help lower income people avoid a prolonged uh, stay in jail. Because we've all seen the commercials and we all understand that, you know, a rich kid will commit the same crime as a poor kid. The rich kid gets out on bail. The poor kid stays in jail until their trial date, which could be months or a year later, depending on how backed up the system is. Right Now, here's the thing that I have a problem with. Okay. This says a judge or computer algorithm system That is usually biased against people of color and judges who are have been known to be biased against people of color gets to decide. So say it's me or you. I have money, but maybe I don't have the money. You know, bail bonds, you pay 10 Mm percent. I commit a crime or I'm accused of committing a crime because you're you're, uh, innocent until proved guilty. So I'm accused of committing a crime. They take me to jail. I stand before a judge. Mm -hmm. So if the money bail system was still in place, I get to get out. And then, of course, secure a lawyer or whatever I need so I can fight that case in court. If the money bail system is not in place, I go before a judge and the judge gets to decide whether I get out or not. Mm. I don't trust that. That doesn't I don't (laughs) like maybe it's me, Uh but I don't trust a judge to decide for me as a black woman whether I get out or not based on what he's thinking. And so I will say the NAACP is against this. Mm. I don't trust it. I, I I voted, I'm saying I voted no, because I don't like the idea of giving a judge the opportunity to decide whether or not I stay in jail. I'd rather call my mama and them, people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to pass the oh. plate around the church and get right. me out so I can get a lawyer and do it. But right. I, I under, this one I understand, but I voted no, and I recommend a no vote on it. But. I broke this down so you can make your own decision, but yep. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, you know, completely transparent. I voted no. I recommend it. No. But I'm saying why I voted no, because I don't trust the system. I don't trust judges to make it. And, and maybe as a black woman, I would have a fair chance. A young black kid. Mm. I know what he sees when he sees that black kid. I see what the police see when they see him. That's you know right. what I mean? And I don't know that he would be like, you know, this is a young man. He he's only accused of this. He probably didn't do it. Go home, yeah. young man, and, mm-hmm. and get it together until you come back. for. Or he might be like, mm, I'm going to keep you, you know. Yep. He might consider them a public safety risk and a judge can do that at their discretion instead mm-hmm. of a kid who's, who may have a family member who could put their house up and, you know, get them out on bail. So I, I just don't trust the system. And I'm, that is my bias. I'm being very honest mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. I don't trust judges to make that decision for our youth or for black men or whoever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think it should be up to them. That's yeah. just my opinion. So, you know,
1: well, it, it's been proven to be a, a pride and tested uh, commodity there. We, we do have a major distrust about the legal system when it comes to judges and black folks. Aaron Wiley Sands, this has been amazing. Uh, I feel like I've been highly educated now and I am going to uh, definitely uh, keep these recommendations in mind, as well as doing my own research through the ballot as I riff through it myself. What's the best way for people to find more details about this work you've done and to follow? This is, OK, so this is on
2: my blog. Um, So you can go to AaronWileySands.com slash blog, and that will be my voter recommendation guide for 2020 for the state of California. All the propositions, and I also list the judges and, you know, everything. I give you a recommendation on everything for the state of California.
1: Fantastic. Come again, Aaron Wiley-Sands. You're always a pleasure to have here. This is KCWD.com. You're welcome. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Roan. That was the incomparable Aaron Wiley-Sands. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. It's CWG, thetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we just experienced recently a very, very major loss in the world of entertainment and uh, rock and roll. Uh, the great and late, I'm sad to report, Eddie Van Halen has made his transition, ladies and gentlemen. And um, for those of us who are on a certain side of the industry, whether it be hip hop or funk, I mean it's hard to fathom the, 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 the gravity of this loss. I mean, guitar players notwithstanding, but Eddie Van Halen was more than just a rock and roll uh, gu- guitar god. you know, with all due respect. I mean, he was an icon and he transcended the instrument. And uh, I wanted to pay a little tribute to him, man, because he definitely uh, had an influence on me as a kid. And uh, he means a lot. And it means a lot to me to have this conversation uh, with two people who are on the line here. One is a returning guest, a returning champ, and one is here for the very first time. So uh, first, our returning champ, y'all know this guy, legendary music journalist, drummer, y'all know him quite well here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. A, Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you there?
3: Might as well jump. Uh, go ahead and jump.
1: <laughs> What's going on, Scott? in
3: the house man
1: um, oh man always glad to. that have we're
3: him. doing this a few days after the fact
1: i know the day yeah. that he passed i was pretty yeah yeah, yeah. he it was it a was deep cat man so thank you for being here you know um i always have you here to do tributes like this it's always bittersweet but uh this one's a little special too because we have a special guest on the line who i actually saw play many years ago i'm gonna Be dating myself here. He didn't know I was in the audience watching him play, but I was blown away, Scott. This dude can really play, man. Um, He's played with the likes of uh, Macy Gray. I think he's done some stuff with uh, Quincy Jones's uh, publishing company or what have you. But he's an industry veteran who can really uh, get down with his acts. And uh, he has this business where he. teaches people how to be successful in the music industry. So ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to welcome for the very first time to psychotic bump school guitarist instructor, the legendary in his own right, Mr. Joe solo. Joe solo. Hey, how are you, how,
4: how are you doing? Good to hey, be you. here.
1: Real well, real well. That's my good buddy, a Scott Galloway there who you just met. So yeah, fellas, uh, when you heard the news, let's go to Joe first, Scott, when you heard the news about Eddie's transition, man. Uh, I'm just curious, man, being a longtime Axe band like you are, what what images were conjured up when you thought about the the totality of this man's influence on your life as a man, as a player? Joe Solo, what are your thoughts on the passing of Eddie Van Halen?
4: Well, um, I just want to throw out, I'm also a producer, develop artist, and I developed Macy Gray from scratch. From scratch. Um, and so uh, gu- guitar is my primary instrument among many. But I consider it a tool of production as opposed to the main thing I do. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm but back in my formative years uh it was all about the guitar and it was all about van halen in during my teenager years Mm
1: -hmm. and
4: not even just like musically but life itself was lived Mm -hmm. to go to van halen concerts when they would come to town and to listen to van halen music and to play van halen songs in our cover bands in high school yes uh you know um the thing about about Eddie was uh everything just came naturally. Hmm. You know, it's like he wasn't trying to be a rock star
1: effortless right he
4: just it was about the music and the music and the music and hmm. um he wasn't just a great player you know everyone thinks of him as a great soloist, which he is, but if you listen to his rhythm playing. Mm hmm. It's so tight. There's a bounce to it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really cool. Um. And he was a great songwriter, too. I mean, without the great song, the great solos and, and everything else, great production doesn't mean anything. You know, you have the great songs and he was a great songwriter mm-hmm. and music. And then, you know, David Lee Roth did the lyrics and they came up with a lot of really, really good songs. So, yeah, it was, it was sad. It was sad to hear that he passed away.
1: Very sad. How many times did you get to see him? And I'm wondering if Scott ever had a chance to see him. Did Did you guys both see him in concert at some point? Joe, you. Oh, yeah. F-
4: oh, yeah. I, well, as a teenager, every every time, every every time. time I, was, I was living in Cleveland, which is a big rock and roll town. Oh, yes. And um, same, absolutely. And um, Like we would get, we would, me and my buddies, we would get tickets for Van Halen and then we would look at them every day Mm -hmm. and have like these, uh, have these like air Van Halen concerts in the cafeteria at high school. Uh, Mm -hmm. but then also my band would cover a lot of their tunes. Um, and, uh, uh, it was always interesting. It was, I saw Van Halen several times. Um, and as a guitarist, I would take notes because I could never figure out how he did a lot of the things he did at the time. Right. But to see him using his techniques, I was like, oh, okay, that's how he gets that sound, that's how he gets that sound. So I would be at the concert, second, third row, David Lee Roth would be doing high kicks and the sweat would fly off his, legs and land on my face <laughs>
5: that's really ah, gross. Nice. but uh
4: <laughs> but uh i'd be taking notes Cute. on what eddie was playing basically
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know uh scott um uh, i know you're not into sports as much as i am but one thing that i learned about seeing live boxing um cats in the uh boxing realm say there's only really one difference between seeing a fight on television and seeing it live in person when you're in person, you can tell the impact of a punch far greater than you can sitting at home ah. on the screen. So when Joe says that, uh, I'm just wondering uh, to couple the the sonic experience of just trying to emulate what he's doing by listening, but having a front row view must have been quite an experience. Hey, Scott Galloway, uh, what are your thoughts on that, man? You, you saw Van Halen too?
3: Oh yeah, several times. <clears throat> um, so I am a drummer and Um, My very good friend, Tim Glover, uh, used to be one of the cats that I played with very regularly in my garage. And uh, we were in several bands together, and he's the one who introduced me to Van Halen. At the time, I mean, I've always been open to all kinds of music, but, um, you know, I wasn't really into metal. You know, I liked Led Zeppelin and certain older rock bands and stuff. But, you know, in that era, when Van Halen came out, you know, I wasn't really following any Judas Priest, Scorpion, none of that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was really big on Eddie, and he he introduced me to that band. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I was like, you know, I I found a couple of things that I could relate to. I mean, I could relate to the fact that he was a great guitar player, but there's only a few songs that I liked, like Mean Street, and I loved what Mm. they did with Pretty Woman and the Intruder intro. And, you know, and I dug uh, Little Guitars and the song that that went into. You know, so I mean, you know, it's it my boy, so it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I gotta find something in this to like because you know, we're gonna be playing this stuff, blah blah blah. And we were both working in retail, uh, ra- record retail in uh-huh. 1994 came out, and that whole album just ripped my head apart. And mm-hmm. I could really care less about the David Lee Roth. I mean, he's cool, whatever, mm-hmm. but and I'm really, you know, deep musically, so I mean, I dud, jump, Panama. Drop dead legs, all that stuff, and then what? What tore my head off were the last two songs, "Girl Gone Bad" and "House of Pain." I was like, "This dude is not of this planet," you know, the way he was playing on those two particular tunes.
5: Mm-hmm. It was
3: just the rhythm, you know. Like Joe was saying, you know, it's not just about the solos; it's about the tunes, and he's just, you know, ripping through these you know, complex chordal things and rhythmic and then a solo in there too. And mm. and it's just and, and Alex is just back there. You know, I really dug Alex. So um, you know, they blew me away and we were supposed to, Tim and I were supposed to go see the 1984 tour and you know, it played here at the Forum, which is you know, this is LA, this is the hometown. That's and right. The Roop. tickets went on sale and they sold out in like five minutes. The whole Forum sold out in five minutes and they did not add any more shows so I didn't get to see Van Halen and Sammy Hagar years which I loved even more than the than the David Lee Roth years because I just felt like Sammy was a much better singer I liked mm. where the songwriting went with songs like Dreams and Right Now and and all that and through it all you know even though I'm a drummer and I really loved Alex's playing and Hot For Teacher and so many different things that that cat did and he and he can swing I mean, you know, their father was a jazz musician. So when you hear both of them, even though they're rocking their ass off, what Joe referred to as that bounce in Eddie's playing and all that, I mean, they swing, they have a swing element to what they do. And that made their rock really fluid, man. And wow. so I loved it. But man, I you know, I play drums, but I am I wish I could play guitar. I look at a guitar and I just Cracked my head like Curly in the Three Stooges, man. I, I have no That's idea. That's funny. I,
4: I feel the same way about drums. I, I I run out of breath after about four bars. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's just like, like but you... I
3: but I love Alan Holdsworth. I love Paige. I love George Benson. I love so many guitar players, you know, uh, Nile Rogers you know, Killer Rhythm. Oh, uh, wow. Man, I wish I could do that stuff, man. But Eddie, and see, the thing I was going to ask Joe, because you said you wanted me on here to kind of interview, he already answered my question, uh-huh. and, and that question is that you can't figure out what Eddie's doing until you see him. And when I did uh, my little Facebook tribute to him, the second paragraph or third paragraph, I said, you know what? Whoever created the Jumbotron and the big giant screens on the side of the stage at rock concerts, that was all had to be for Eddie. Because, mm. I mean, when they would go to that point, when he's doing his solo by himself, everybody leaves the stage and it's just Eddie. Yeah. and and they would just zoom in on his hands and you saw what he was doing. And it's so deep. And after he after he passed, I found out that, you know, in the very beginning, Alex was trying to tell him, dude, play with your back to the audience because you're gonna give away right. all your tricks, you know? <laughs> you know, Nobody knows how you're doing that. And, you know, if you play in front of them, they're gonna steal all your stuff. And mm. he's here, you know? And sure enough, that's what happened. He had a million, People, you know, guitar players, you know, copying what he did. So I just say all that to say that he was a an innovator. He was he That's was a guy. great musician, a great songwriter, like Joe said. He was also very much an entertainer. You know, he wasn't just up there shredding. You know, and he brought a lot of joy with what, what he did because you know a lot of metal kind of takes itself way too seriously or way mm-hmm. too goofy. But Eddie was in between with like. We're just gonna have fun. And yeah, I'm a virtual, so I'm gonna play all this stuff. But you know, it's it's fun. You know, he wanted to make people happy, you know. He wasn't and, showing and, and off was, or anything
4: like that. He's he's just doing his thing.
3: Yeah, and and, and all the interviews you see of him. I mean, again, you know, I didn't really sit up and study him, but since he died, I've watched like three or four different interviews with him, and I was just like, damn, the guy was so humble, so mm-hmm. down to earth, yes. so cool, such a nerd all into his guitars and his amplifiers and ripping them apart and creating his own Frankenstrat and, and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, it's just a shame, man. You you just, you know, last thing I'll say is that it's just always a shame, if, you know, when the great people, you know, it's like, you know, you're always kind of, you know, you never want to question God, you know, really. but mm-hmm. It's like, man, you know, why is Eddie gone and, and Trump still here? Or you know, <laughs> really. I, I guess I should just stop there. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like you know all these. You know why are the great ones, you know, got to go, and mm-hmm. uh, and we're stuck here with you know subpar people that aren't contributing anything. Eddie contributed so much while he was here. So that's, that's- all I want to say.
1: Well, that's 2020 for you. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was the amazing A. Scott Galloway. And we're also here with Mr. Joe Solo. We're breaking it down for Eddie Van Halen, y'all. So, uh, Scott, that thank you for that that beautiful uh, soliloquy there, because I'm wondering if Joe can go in, since you 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 always aspire to be that guitar player, Scott, and, you know, I feel you on some Alan Holdsworth. I kind of got into Joe Seth. The years, but (laughs) Joe,
3: favorite of all time. That dude, otherworldly. not to talk about. I saw him many times. Oh, otherworldly.
1: Wow, we got to talk about that. But Joe, I mean Eddie came around. Okay, you got Jeff Beck out there. You got Eric Clapton Um, in the canon of great guitar players. I always ask this question when one of the greats pass on. uh, Where is Eddie Van Halen? I mean, out of Hendrix and everybody that came before and after him, Muddy Waters, BB King. Where does Joe solo stack Eddie Van Halen along that long list?
4: Uh, wait, could you, could you say that again? There was some background noise.
1: Oh, there was, yeah, there's, there's a lot of sound back here. Uh, how does Eddie Van Halen stack up to all the greats, uh, his contemporaries, such as Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, even Carlos Santana. I didn't mention him. Uh, how would Joe solo rank, uh, Eddie Van Halen's greatness amongst those great guitar players?
4: Well, uh, rating guitar players is something I've always been kind of iffy about because it's so subjective. Who's the best? Who's you know? It kind of depends on your favorite. hmm Um. But uh, for a lot of people, Eddie was one of the best, or even the best. It kind of depends on when your formative years were. If you were a teenager when Jimi Hendrix and Jimmy Page uh were at Mm -hmm. the top of their game then then they were the best you know right Uh, one of the things about van halen is 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 i really don't think of them as a metal band they're more of like a big rock band because they had a lot they had a lot more of blues and melodicness infused Mm -hmm. into what they did but with a big huge big rock sound
5: yes um
4: and that's that's kind of like one of the things that kind of distinguishes the band and Eddie's playing from like from heavy metal rock. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you listen to the riff in uh, "Beautiful Girls," it's like mm-hmm. you feel that bounce right there, right? That, there's nothing metal about it, you know. But ah. then again, you go over to like um, their version of "You Really Got Me," you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the way, even the way he uh scratches out the strings. Ba-na-na-na, that little
1: mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. listen
4: closely, that kind of stuff happens in, in like almost every Van Halen song we he throws in these little little rhythmic doodads in there that's really cool. Yeah. And then of course he he shreds uh and he's got a unique signature st- sound
1: sound mm-hmm. and
4: and us guitarists. Mm. aspire to have a signature sound, a sound that's identifiable, like they know someone can know it's you playing just by hearing it. Mm-hmm. And it's not based on what kind of guitar you play or amplifier. You would sound like you on any equipment. Uh okay. Eddie, yep. no matter what he played, you could tell it was Eddie because <laughs> just just the style was so so uh apparent. Mm-hmm. The style and
1: the sound mm-hmm well i'm a, i'm gonna borrow a page since we're talking about jimmy pay i'm gonna borrow a page from eddie scott galloway uh mm-hmm. so you've seen him up close and you're a guitar player what did you how did how do you think he got that sound i mean was it you said it, he could do that on any guitar because you know he had such a signature in the way that he delivered what he was trying to do you know uniquely his way um how what is the eddie van halen style and how do you how do you think he got that sound
4: yeah, is that for for joe or for scott that's for joe oh uh well um i mean the guitar player sound is it comes from the way they think it comes from their heart and it comes from their technical skill and the way the way they put pressure on the strings and attack the strings. Is your attack light or is it is it harder? Mm-hmm. Is it loose? Like like uh, like um, Jimmy Page, when he solos, he's a very loose player mm-hmm. as, as opposed as opposed to um, Eddie was very precise
1: mm.
4: you know, very 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 different styles, very different okay. styles. Absolutely. But the, your, your sound comes from you, uh, and uh, sure you can have your standard, you could have your amplifier and your guitar and your, you know, your equipment that's yours that you know well that can contribute to the sound, but it, the whole style and the whole feel, it all comes from you, not from the equipment. Hmm. And and Eddie had a very strong identifiable style. So he could be playing anything. And you would know it was Eddie. It was like, it was like the um the first time I, I like to think back to when was the first time I heard, you know, X, like the first time I heard beat it. Mm-hmm. All right. And right. like like someone was like, oh, you got to hear this, this Michael Jackson song because Eddie Van Halen's playing a solo on it. It's a great song. And then Eddie comes in and I'm like, oh, play it. And I was just blown away. Yep. And then when I read in magazines that he had just done, I think two takes of the guitar solo, and they took they took the better of the two, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of the stuff he did was improvisational and and even though it was improvised, it's just so like technically complex you you wouldn't think it was, but he was a great improviser as well
1: absolutely you know i wonder he my scott i told you offline that one of my favorite moments with van halen uh seeing them was the live without a net concert of course david Mm -hmm. Lee was not the lead singer at that time it was sammy hagar but i Mm -hmm. love that concert like joe said at the beginning when everybody would just kind of they would everybody would get their solo but everybody would like leave the stage when it was time for eddie van halen's solo and that tapping that he would do these nice little riffs and motifs using the frets joe and you know harmonics,
4: I'm, the two-handed tapping is the, right the harmonics
1: it was the harmonics okay because later on i i started to get into this guitarist a jazz guitarist named stanley jordan who used the frets in a way that i had never seen before and the way eddie would use fret work joe i'm wondering did did was anybody really doing it to that extent before eddie van halen that tapping and getting that really classical he could almost make himself sound like an arcade game when he could really do his riffs really well can you think of anybody that was really doing that to that extent uh before eddie van halen
4: well um n- not the way he did it there there he wasn't the first person to use two-handed tapping mm-hmm. uh, it, was, it was done back in the 60s but he he took it and he popularized the style Yep. And he expanded on it in many, many different ways. And, and uh, like Scott mentioned, he had an amazing use of harmonics where you would be able to tap out harmonics on any note, mm. especially when, with 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 a guitar amp overdriven. Well, it can bring a lot of extra harmonics out really easy. So Eddie would would tap out. Uh, uh, little little chord progressions and then layer them into the production, like in "Dance the Night Away." Uh, during the chorus, it's like, "No, nah, I'm no singer, but you know, it's like, ooh, dance the night away." And you listen closely. There's these harmonics blended in with with the guitar chords that he's playing. Mm. Um, neat little layer. Or a song like "Woman in Love" starts out with these tapped harmonics with a delay on it. So for every one he hits, he gets two, and he d- does it all in time. So it's like Dick, tick, 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 tick. I, I can't even really do it with my mouth; I have to do it with the guitar. Yeah. But, uh,
1: wow! Um, but yeah, he was an
4: innovator. He was an innovator.
1: I mean, he, he was so humble, like you say, he was he, just a punk kid who picked up the, the guitar. I mean, that's how he described himself, and. uh yeah. And I think he his story was very similar to a lot of people who wanted to aspire to play an instrument. And um, how many people I mean, he 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 <laughs> like was said, earlier, he was so cool. He was so relaxed. He looked like he was just up there having a good time. And you can just envision him if he wasn't a guitar player, he'd be like the coolest kid in high school because all he would want to do was probably just, you know, meet girls and just be cool. If only he had the, the swag to do so and that guitar that acts that 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 just gave him the, the the tools of the trade that he exactly needed. So that's
4: exactly how and why I got into music ah, <laughs> as a teenager. Wow. You- if, I, if I make it music, the girls will come to me. I won't have to worry about being rejected by them. That's what my thinking was like in th- when I was 12. So I was like, I'm going for it in music.
1: Well, how well did that work out for you? I mean, you, you met Macy, so <laughs> something happened. I mean, not in a dating situation, but it, it does draw attention to yourself. Right. When you're able to do something really well, and especially a master, an instrument like guitar compared to keyboards and drums. I mean, you both are musicians. You know, I play I've dabbled in guitar and when I was taking lessons. Even my instructor would say, well, the, the level of commitment you need for any instrument is pretty intense, but it's a different type of struggle. To master keyboards versus guitar and when someone is considered a guitar master like eddie van halen is you don't hear about piano gods you know you might hear about a drumming god we played tribute to a uh, neil peart too uh scott and joe sure. uh, and rush and scott you helped me do it but you don't hear about piano gods but guitar gods is something that you hear quite commonly and I just can't think of too many people that have reached that status. You know, the Becks, the Clapton's, but Eddie, you know, being that stadium arena, you know, concert field, mm-hmm. band, I mean, there, there was just nothing I think that could su- supplant it. I've been seeing discussions about, okay, maybe Randy Rhodes was better, but he. That's, that's he was,
4: what I, I was thinking. Randy Rhodes, not, not better. Cause he had his own style that was different. Uh, but Randy Rhodes was like the very next. Great, unique guitarist with his own sound, and and he, you know, Randy played, whereas Eddie played mostly in blues scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Randy Rhodes was class learned a lot about classical guitar and threw a lot of classical composition into. Uh, They're playing like when he first met Ozzy, and and uh, he was just warming up, and Ozzy heard him warm up. It was like you're my guitarist. Like I don't even need to audition you. That's it. That's the audition. Yeah. So when they started working on songs, he, you know, Randy said, you know, most songs are in E or A because those are easy open chords on the guitar. Mm-hmm. So why don't we try and write songs that are in unusual keys to be different? Mm-hmm. Um, and they they ended up doing that. Um, but, uh, but but yeah, just you know, in the in the, on the subject of great guitarists who who passed away. Randy Randy fits right in there.
1: Yeah. But uh Joe Solo, uh what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you and I'll follow your career, my man?
4: Oh uh yeah well I, I I I send out um music success tips and I've got this thing called a it's free it's a video nugget uh, music success video nugget series. Uh, you just go to joesolo.com and sign up and get get that, um, and um, you'll start getting free information and uh, in, about how to be successful in music. Uh, and then all my contact information is on those emails. And uh, so that's, uh, that's the best way. Joesolo.com.
1: We are back. KCWG, the truth.com's is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, Prince is back. Did y'all hear me? Prince is back. Some of us, for some of us anyway, he never left. But Prince was up on the chart not too long ago. And I couldn't believe it. The sign of the Times Deluxe release came out a couple weeks ago. Um, I've been wanting to talk about this for a minute. So I'm a coiled spring. And when I'm a coiled spring, I can only think of two people to have. A conversation with when it comes to a stellar, stellar moment in P Funk or Funk and Soul history like this. Prince is back on the charts, y'all. Uh, a Scott Galloway and Juliana Bolden are back. We're going to talk about Sign of the Times, y'all. Scott, Juliana, what's up? Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. (laughs) He said Stellar Funk. Man, (laughs) the last time we were here with them, they were helping us celebrate the wonderful life of Danny Webster of Slave. That's where that Stellar Funk jab comes from. But y'all, Sign of the Times is racing up the charts during these times. They just released the deluxe edition. And I have to say, y'all, I can't name check specific songs right now. But compared to the 1999 release, y'all remember, y'all helped me talk about that, too, right? I think this one's better because we had said that th- th- those songs didn't really feel like they were complete, but this feels far more polished. Juliana, what are your thoughts? Then I want to hear from Scott. How do you feel about the new Sign of the Times deluxe release?
0: Well, you know, I don't really have a lot of specific feelings about the the, the, the new release and whatnot, because it's just there's, there's levels to what there's There's levels to feel, and there's levels to quality in one uh, era versus another. I'm more focused on the content of the songs and mm. the fact that the songs were dealing with unrest and dealing with political upheaval and mm. so appropriate for everything that we're going through now, it's very difficult for me to have a conversation about anything other than, you know, when a rocket ship explodes and everybody still wants to fly. Mm. And that is where I'm at with this. I love the re- release, but there's something about the feeling that I had the first time that I heard mm-hmm. that song and the feeling that I had revisiting that in a state of complete and total uh,
3: upheaval of this world.
1: Wow. they guy Galloway.
3: Well, it's interesting for me because I, I still remember when that album came out and uh, you know, And the funny thing is Prince is one of those artists that every time he dropped the first single from an album, I I can pretty much remember exactly where I was, what was going on yeah, when I heard it. You know, I mean, that first joint was always the one that was like, damn, you know, from controversy to 1999 to sign of the time. The doves cry. I mean, the first song is always like this, dude. You know, kiss even. You know, it's like what?
5: Mm-hmm. It, you know, mm-hmm.
3: every time he came with that first thing, it was like, okay, he's taking us somewhere else. But was well, nothing like sign of the times because I love yeah,
0: pop. pop life.
3: Yeah, well, pop life wasn't the first single. First single off of that album was uh was it raspberry beret or something i, I forgot okay yeah raspberry, yeah. Beret. Pop, raspberry beret yeah, yeah pop yep. life we 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 that's like when the jacksons put out the triumph album and you you got your head bashed in by lovely one and then the day the album came out we all heard heartbreak hotel and we're just like oh hell Woo! mind,
1: blown. mind blown. okay absolutely man i mean i yes. remember
3: that too that was that was freaking elementary school but anyway side yeah. of the times Incredible. So, uh, uh, unlike Juliana, I'm different. Like, I didn't even listen to their original album again because that record, you know, it's fabled with all these stories. And it was originally supposed to be a three album set. And then he created the Camille voice, you know, Mm. that was going to be part of something. And so you get this, you know, it's a it's a really great album. But once you find out the history of it, it's such a mishmash of things. You know, I mean, how is it? To be on the same album as The Cross, he's gonna be on the same <laughs> album as Adore, he's gonna be on the same album as Dorothy Parker. I mean the album's wow. just a masterpiece, you know it's yes. crazy. Yes. But so I went straight to the the previously unreleased material and um you know on Facebook I put you know a top 10 you know I listened to all those tunes and then I I, I put together my 10 favorites and um You know, again, some of it seemed complete and other stuff seemed a little, you know, like he might have done something else to it. I don't know. But Mm. um, I guess we all just we always end up just being marveling at the fact that this dude was so prolific. But in this period, he was being prolific with Wendy Melboy, Lisa Coleman,
1: Mm.
3: you know, uh, Bobby and and who, you know, the revolution. You know, was was a, a a big part of the first half of this record, and then a lot of it was stuff Prince did by himself. And then there was a few things that the next band was involved in, Sheila E. and uh, Levi, mm-hmm. and all these other cats. I'm kind of rambling here, but you know, so the album. No, you not. We're following you. The album's crazy. You know, it's just there's just so much going on with it. Um, And like I said, I don't know if the listeners even have heard any of these unreleased tunes yet, but my top three were Emotional Pump, which Mm just has really funky, almost Lewis Johnson-like bass line. It's really sexy. And allegedly, you know, of all people, he sent this to Joni Mitchell, (laughs) wanting her to do it. And she said, you know, it's really cool, but, you know, it's not really for me. (laughs) Then (laughs) there's Crystal Ball, which has this really tight minimalist psychedelic seduction thing, you know, about it that's really cool. And then in the middle, it kind of turns into a song for, for Jesus. It's like, Prince, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. it's crazy. And then lastly in a large room with no light, um, wow. which is this really cool Latin jam. And and one of the things that I pointed out was, you know, Prince is really notorious for having these super long 12-inch versions, you know, and 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 80, 90% of the time, I have to be honest, I didn't like him. And this was one of the few times that I wish he had done an extended version and really let people solo over this odd meter syncopated Latin jam, yeah, you know, yeah. so I could really hear how well these dudes could improvise, you know, because most of Prince's extended stuff would just be like a whole bunch of different vibes that he could come up with on the same groove, but nobody's really soloing in like what Where I come from, from a jazz context. This is a song where he could have done that and he chose not to. So it was frustrating to me, but there was a lot of promise in that song.
1: But there was so much, yeah, so much promise and so much adventurism because when I had a bootleg of that, don't tell anybody, it's just me, you, Juliana, and the audience here. Uh, I had a bootleg of that song, but it wasn't called In a Large Room with No Light. It was called Welcome to the Rat Race on my guy. You remember that? And so I had grown up thinking that that was the name of the song, Welcome to the Rat Race. And so maybe during different incarnations of the releases as they were leaked out to the public, uh, maybe the title morphed, but just thinking about that syncopated rhythm you're talking about, I love it. And just thinking about the lyrics just have you ever been looking for a penny in a large room with no light? Mm. Can you think about that for a second? How in the heck can you find a penny in a large room if you don't even have a flashlight? that's virtually impossible. So the depth of lyrics on something that he didn't really promote very much and to have a gem of a jewel of a song like that, it it just really just speaks to just how deep his catalog is. And a funny story about Adonis and Bathsheba. Uh, I saw an interview with uh, Susan Rogers, his engineer for many years during his really, really creative period. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the one where she said, "Man, I, I'm just not feeling that song." She had such a relationship with Prince that she could, you know, banter honestly with them back and forth. And uh, I think that was the one of, one of the ones that she wasn't very crazy about. But it's 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 a very interesting song. But I have to say, uh, the gym for me is "A Witness for the Prosecution" because again, on some of the bootlegs that I had, again, just between me, you, and Juliana, and everybody out here. Uh, that song is like a cross between, I mean, help me out, y'all. We we just lost Eddie Van Halen, but that, that song is like a cross between Sly Stone and Jimi Hendrix. And oh, then, it has
3: two versions on there. Exactly. You know, the OG version with, with the band, that was seriously funky. And then he did a second version with the synthesizers, the and these drum and horns. And there's this one sequencer riff in there that was really cool. Um, I, you know, because there were two versions, I kind of got like, there were parts of both versions that I liked and, and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make my top 10, but I think okay. it's, um, you know, if he had ever really finished it, I, I hope that it would have been, you know, the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah. So I'm wondering when that was first uh, brought to your attention. Cause I had it on a copy called the black album Yeah. Uh, in, in its original, uh, uh, leak uh, it was just called Witness for the Prosecution. And, and it didn't have those haunting like choral vocals where you got like the, the gospel choir saying, Witness for the Prosecution. Usually on the original version that I had, it was just his voice. Yeah. So that just added a whole nother level of depth to it. But I was thinking who else but Prince could uh, form such a hybrid of a groove that would cross pollinate both Hendrix and Slystone Stone and uh, pull it off with ease, um, yeah. but it was just something about that band during that period. I don't know, because you, you were talking about Lisa, Wendy, and Levi Caesar, who was the bass player, who also played in Madhouse. And I yeah. know Juliana is into Madhouse, but from like 85 to 88, because Sign of the Times originally came out in 87, and so during that time period, Sheila E. had her thing going on and hit big with Glamorous Life. She went on tour, saw that tour. Uh, in person, when she uh, was uh, a group called the Untouchables opened for her at the Universal Amphitheater back in the day, mm. and, and she had that band with her. And then a lot of that band came into uh, under Prince. Yeah, and so that was Miko. Well, I don't know if Miko Weaver was her original guitar player, but. Yeah, because mm-hmm. Levi
3: originally played bass, and then he ended up playing guitar, or, or vice versa. He right. was originally a guitar player, and then, you know, uh, the bass slot is what opened up in Prince's band, so he said, screw it, I'll play bass, you know. I'll
1: play bass. And
3: Miko was badass. He was in Sheila's band, and there's that great video of them on a New Year's Eve doing mm-hmm. um, "Baby I'm a Star, uh, I Would Die For You, and and then by the time they get to the vamp of Baby I'm a Star, they just play this, wear it out for like six, seven minutes. And Miko mm-hmm. and Wendy both playing rhythm guitar together. Oh, my ah. God. On that, I'm sure yeah. you've seen that video. It was I so, it's incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they had such chemistry. They It was such a vibe. One of my favorite Miko moments was uh, Weekend Funk. You ever hear the original version of Weekend Funk before it made it to Graffiti Bridge with George Clinton on it? Uh, I
3: remember the song, but I think I only remember the graffiti bridge version. I don't think I've heard the bootleg.
1: Oh, well, the bootleg had a guitar solo by Miko Weaver. And uh, Prince actually shouted him out toward the end of the song. And I actually love the original version because it had just it, it just felt like a slower, more uh, grimier uh, version of the song compared to the how polished it felt on a graffiti bridge, which I love too. you know, George can do no wrong. Um, with Prince for the most part, even though, (laughs) remember how late do you have to be before you're absent? That's right. (laughs) I'm like, what? I don't even, yeah, that that wasn't one of their best tracks or best moments, but I did like We Can Funk though. But yeah, Miko tore it up on the solo on that one. And so the the, the stellar musicianship on this project is just uh, something to behold. Juliana Scott laid down a couple of his favorites. Uh, if you're still with us, uh, did a couple of them stand out for you? Because uh, I also had a chance to see a little of the live performance that was also specially released uh with this project. So Julianne, did any tracks stand out in particular for you?
0: I actually didn't get a chance to see to see that. So I'm a little bit wow. lost in the conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the video was nice, but just envision if you saw the movie Sign of the Times. Uh, it's a lot like that, similar set list, except there are a couple of surprises with this deluxe release that came out the same day as the deluxe release. Um, I, I just oh, The concert know. videos like the Miles Davis and all that stuff. I got it. I'm not at that point yet. I don't. I'm not sure if Miles is on this particular concert. It was like a Private Paisley Park kind of thing, and Mm -hmm. given that I was at Paisley Park a few years ago, I was in that room, and I wish I had been there the night that they had recorded that. But it's it was very intimate, but it was it was people there, and they were definitely jamming. And so, just as a project as a whole, man, I mean, we've often picked our favorite tracks on this show with regard to Prince, and Julian has brought forth some tracks from like. One of my favorite Prince albums, the uh the Rainbow Children. But Sign of the Times uh has always been right at the top or near the top for me. Because for me, everything just came together on this project. Like Scott, you were just breaking down some of the tracks. I mean, who what other artists could come in with play in the sunshine and sign of the times? Uh you got it on there and a door, and then you got Housequake, one of the mm. most incredibly funky, just gargantuan stomp funk jams ever. I mean ever. The
0: official, the, the official earthquake theme of California. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Put that on right now, Juliana Bowden will start dancing. That's boom. how hot that groove is. Because
0: well you, here's you the thing beat. about house boom, boom, here's boom, the boom, thing boom about house quake. Exactly. exactly. Yeah it's crazy. When,
1: and then you got when, if I was your girlfriend. You oh my God. Go ahead Juliana. I love that. When one. you
0: look when you look at where Housequake came from at the time, you're looking at a guy that took up a mantle, not only from James Brown, but was mm-hmm. also a dancer. He knew what he liked to dance to. Yep. And we're coming through generations that are still dancing to James Brown and generations that are dancing to Dyla Freak, Egyptian Lover, Electro Pop, the early days of Dyla, hip hop.
1: You said Dyla Freak? Wow.
0: I, I absolutely did. <laughs> Uncle. Hey, I will put Uncle Jam's Army material right up there with Bach, Beethoven, and Ravel. So, <laughs> hey, come <laughs> at me. And, and I say this because one of the things that people miss out on when they're looking at a musician like Prince You could talk about musicianship all day long, but if you miss out on what makes a person move, a person that knows what they like to dance to can make other people move. And Mm. that is really the essence of why Housequake sticks alongside of the musicianship of it. It Mm. just is something that will um, change your attitude. You could be having a, if you're having a bad day and you put on Housequake, it will change your perspective on life. It will like give you a reason to live kind of thing. And wow. it makes a person, it, it, it's, I I don't think I've ever heard a song so arresting that you just cannot not move it's when it comes action. on. Absolutely. I and mean, Well, I take it back, I take it back. Uh, it'll be a tie between Housequake and potentially My Philosophy by BDP. <laughs>
1: Oh snap! You went there. I I didn't think you were going there. I see what you mean, but I, I well, see what you mean. But I, I thought you were gonna go Atomic Dog because you know how that sort of backwards uh drum beat in Atomic Dog, you know, you play that side by side or back to back with Housequake, you you got a party going right now.
0: you know what? I can actually resist Atomic. I can resist Atomic Dog, the one that I cannot resist. You can
1: resist Atomic Dog.
0: i I, i've got willpower i can resist the time of dog but what i can't resist is knee deep
1: ah well that's another one that just ain't going nowhere anytime soon like
0: yeah it's like if i if i'm if i'm leaving the party and you want me to stay Mm. what you do is you make me mad you put on knee deep and then you follow it up with flashlight and you know poor righteous
1: teachers uh you know oh, juliana taking to the underground y'all and, and,
0: and, and then i'm gonna be mad at you because i'm staying at the party <laughs> <laughs> that's the formula
1: yeah. wow well julia yeah. about so, scott just a moment ago and i know you feeling this track too he mentioned if i was your girlfriend now susan rogers told another interesting story about that particular song just about how that song just accidentally came together. But I'm just curious, Scott, why did you mention If I Was Your Girlfriend? What does that song do to you when you hear it?
3: I just, you know, I, I love the kind of things that uh, Prince did that if you tried them out on your girlfriend or whatever, just you know, like, get <laughs> like some thought provoking, you know, mm, if I was your girlfriend, you know, and then go with that as a theme. You know, I just like the way he, he offered that out to the brothers as something that you can drop philosophically in a, in a, in a conversation with somebody, you know, and, and just think about it. I mean, that, that, that's a, you know, Prince was getting away with all sorts of things throughout his career, playing Mm -hmm. around with gender and playing around with masculinity and femininity and, and how sensitive a brother could be or not be. And I just felt like that song, um, Mm -hmm was really about the epitome of it because uh it was it was it was thought provoking. And then didn't TLC turn around and cover that? You know, girl. Yeah, and that was, it was more typical, you right. know, for a girl to say that. Right. But you know, but it was T Boz with that voice. And you know, so they just they could play around with so many different things. But when Prince dropped it, mm. it's one of those songs that made you know that everybody could just kind of be like well damn where did that come from how did he think of that and yeah you know how can i well, they, think of that in speaking I, with somebody that i'm intimate with kind of thing so i thought hmm. it was
0: well part of the reason how come it works is because in a, in a way i feel like my girlfriends and I that were sitting around listening to sign of the times were connected to the spirit of longing that was in the record. There was always a spirit of longing, whether it was for great sex, great love, great spirituality, um, a need a, a, a need for the world to be more adherent to ideals, there, and, and while some people might think that this is just you know a patchwork quilt or some kind of other gumbo of things that may or may not have seemed to go together the common thread throughout all of the material in sign of the times is the spirit of longing for an ideal. Ideal love, ideal sex, ideal world, ideal, whatever it is. Ideal ideal, connection to God. Ideal connection to God. And I feel that this, um, this is part of the reason why um, the feminine side that brothers would, you know, were borrowing from Prince was so incredibly authentic was because the essence of a woman is it is the fulfilled longing of, of a connection and not necessarily to love you know love as we see it on the surface
5: mm-hmm. just
0: to feel present in the world and I don't know that any of us felt more present in the world than when we were immersed in our favorite Prince songs. That's how come you have that's what artists do. Sometimes people think of art as an escape. And I contend that art is more an articulation of the present and it 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 actually allows you to connect deeper, not to escape from reality. And when you find an artist like Prince that articulates that kind of longing, um, that facilitates all kinds of of, of you know connection. As evidenced by the type of fans that he mm. has, that stay, you know, immersed in conversations like this, talking about it. I would, I believe that on that record, it's, it's now for all of the flowery stuff I just said. My favorite song is the most simple of all. Mm. It. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
1: I'm all surprised the, to hear it from you.
0: <laughs> for, for all of that. For all of the like highfalutin theoretical stuff I just said, the one that breaks it all the way down, I want to do it, baby, all the time. All right, all right. In the bed, in the stairs, blah blah blah. And, and no, just because. And why is it a drum beat? That's it. Uh, a vocal. Right. He he really ain't saying much of nothing. So whatever it is that draws me to that song, I think it goes back to what we were uh, discussing the about moments. Housequake, how it makes you move. Yeah, a person that knows it, because Prince is, was in such control of his body mm. as a dancer, as mm. much as a you know in control of his instruments as a multi instrumentalist, knowing what makes him move and being one with the music was just as important as the fact that the brother could shred.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, mean,
0: I, I can't think of any other reason how come he had like sisters, you know, well, taking up for a guy wearing high heels.
1: Well, <laughs> they're very androgynous, uh, cat. Um, it was a great song off of Sign of the Times. I love that song myself. Uh, if I was your girlfriend, funny story with that, that again I heard from Susan Rogers maybe two years ago. And she was just talking about why that song sounds that way, Scott and Juliana. And it it, it was actually a mistake, I think. She was in the midst of changing or repairing the soundboard because uh, he didn't like the way the board was sounding. And so it actually was a lot muddier than what uh, sonically he was going for. And she wasn't really, I don't think, if I can recall the story correctly, she wasn't really in, uh, she wasn't finished working on it. And so it just so happens that when Prince is ready to cut, you got to be ready to go and hit that record button. And so he came in and recorded If I Was Your Girlfriend and the board was not ready to go. It wasn't ready for prime time, but he liked the way it sounded. And that's why the sound of that song is so kind of dull. You know, I mean, this is her description. She said it has like a dull uh, sound to it, but he really liked it. It sort of has a flatbed kind of sound very subdued, Listen, but it for, worked.
0: It worked for me as a fan of new wave rock because that space that it was sitting in, I would contend, has more to do the, the space that it was sitting in appeals to the
3: Gary Newman fan in me.
1: Gary ah, Newman, nice. Gary Newman, cars. Say what? It, it, it had
3: everything. Not, it had the new wave vibe, and then it, it the. the the tempo, it was just like sitting in this. Dunna,
5: dunna, dunna,
3: dunna. It was just oh, but, but, but oh, it was so sexy and bassy, and then he's coming with this. this, talk, I, I, well, Scott, this I'm talking mask. about.
0: I'm talking about it. How it 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 was the thing that sat that got me that had when I talked about Gary Newman. Oh,
1: oh, and you know what? About,
0: There's a Gary Newman song called "Metal."
1: Yeah. You know, uh, uh. To me.
0: It appealed to the same fan in me that would play metal more than I played cars.
1: That's interesting. No, I, I have to correct the record on something. I'm just realizing I was just mm-hmm. describing what I thought was the Susan Rogers stories about um, if I was your girlfriend. I was actually talking about the ballad of Dorothy Parker, y'all. The ballad. <gasps> of Dorothy Parker. Oh yeah, yeah.
3: That one was definitely uh, a technical song. mishap. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a mishap, and so I bring that up because one of the people that helped her set up Prince early in his. Uh, earliest days of recording when she first met him was the legendary guitarist Jesse Johnson. And Jesse was the one who helped her uh, figure out the settings and she would come in and work with him and he would come and say, hey, Prince likes the settings here. He likes this much uh, panning back and forth or what have you. And uh, Delica is a track that actually Jesse Johnson wrote. It also appears on this deluxe version of Sign of the Times. And so mm. of course there was a controversy between when Jesse's album t- uh, titled Delica came out, I think in 86, something like that. And that had ironically enough, a Sly Stone collaboration. That was a huge, huge hit for Jesse and Sly. I think Jesse's last major hit before uh, Love Struck a few years later or a couple years later. But Delica was actually recorded by prince now different song i mean there is no song called shockadelica by jesse johnson the album is but mm-hmm. prince came out with a song called shockadelica um and you know scott you could probably refresh my memory about what that controversy was and what that was about why prince did that and i know it left uh it, there, it was it was a little salty you know between those two for a while because of that and um jesse goes into that story at limb during one of his concerts but um Sign of the Times was not without its uh, fair share of a uh, controversy, but I could be here talking about it all day with y'all, but I better let y'all go. Uh, this is A. Scott Galloway and uh, Juliana Bowden. We just breaking down this amazing deluxe release of Sign of the Times by Prince, which shocked me to holy heaven when I discovered it was like number 13 on the Billboard album chart. our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of Funk and Soul. My name is DJ Roman. wanna thank you for joining us this evening. Check back with us, we shall return next week. We're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Also wanna thank our very special guests for the evening, Mr. Joe Solo, A. Scott Galloway, Aaron Wiley-Sands, and of course, Juliana Bowden. Also wanna send a shout out to Frank Starks who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here y'all, take care.